This episode of the RPG Academy podcast is brought to you by DeVere Games. DeVere Games is an international distribution company that has recently begun publishing its own games. With an office based out of Seattle, DeVere has published popular games such as Holmes, Sherlock, and Mycroft, as well as their recent released Fast Food Fear. Their next game is Michael Strogoff, which is based off the Jules Verne novel of the same name. DeVere focuses on making games that are easy to learn and have high quality production values and draw on interesting mechanics to add replayability. If you're interested in finding out more about DeVere, check out their website, DeVereGames.com. That's D-E-V-I-R Games.com or their publisher page on BoardGameGeek. We will have links in the show notes to both. Once again, we want to thank DeVere Games for sponsoring this episode. And now, on to the show. Hello, Michael here with a quick disclaimer. The episode that you are about to listen to was originally recorded as a live event, meaning that it was recorded and streamed over our Twitch channel, which is twitch.tv slash Academy or broadcast as a live event or recorded as a live event for our YouTube page, which is youtube.com slash the RPG Academy. Hopefully you will understand why the audio quality of this episode is not quite up to the same standards you have come to appreciate and expect from our show. And on the off chance that when you listen to this episode, you don't really notice a difference between this episode and a regular episode, don't say anything because that will make me cry. Thanks and enjoy the show. Live from the RPG Academy, I am Michael, and with me tonight I have, as usual, co-host Scott. Scott, say hello to everyone. Howdy, all you kids out there in Radio Land. And as our extra special guest, we have Danny, also known as Imperial Scum on Twitter. Danny, welcome to the show. Hey, how's it going? It's going great, and you? Yay! Wow, better now that I'm here. Fantastic. I'm super excited. So you were asking just before I hit the button, and everyone had to yes. get really silent because it's awkward, uh, how to get to chat. So you can just go to the Twitch page, and you should be able to get to the chat. Uh, you'll need to make sure you mute that, or we'll be hearing ourselves talking on a delay, and it gets really weird. Or, right. uh, or uh, pop out the chat window and then close the original window, and you can just leave the pop chat window open all the time in yeah. chat whenever you want, without even watching the stream. No context chat. Just, Whoa. just, just copy-paste emoji in there every <laughs> night. Well, it looks like we have some of our regulars with us already tonight. So Dirty Habanero, Short Manian 444. Uh, who else we got in here with us tonight? Uh, Jay Thunderific. Uh, oh, we got some new oh. people. Eric. Larissa. Oh, there's redemption. All righty. Well, hopefully by now everyone knows what we're here to do. This is Detention. This is the show that assumes that we are here after hours in the hallowed halls of the RPG Academy because someone's been bad or, you know, not good, I guess. Hooliganish, maybe. <laughs> Academaniac Ian. Uh, and we're here to kind of help keep them straight. Uh, so we're just going to talk a little bit about some stuff, kind of roleplay related, but not always. Doesn't have to be. And we're going to start as we always do. Scott, what you drinking? I uh, remembered that that was the first question today, so I, I came prepared with uh, my old hobbity friend Samwise Adams, who has uh, fresh as hell's L. Is that? Hella good. I don't. I don't know. Maybe that's too California. Is he related <laughs> to Samwise Gamgee? Mm-hmm. 
Uh, absolutely. They're, they're um, maternally related, which is why they have the same first name, not yeah. last name. That yeah. would be a paternal relationship, right? That's how that lineage goes. I just made, I don't know. <laughs> Fantastic. And then Danny, what are you drinking? I am drinking Mercy Brown, an Imperial Brown Ale from Rhode Island. It's named after, it's by Revival Brewing, and it's named after our local uh, vampire. Oh, your local vampire. Yeah, yeah, she's pretty famous down here. Your <laughs> grave, your town, you know, car stops, and all kinds of spooky shit happens. Sweet, interesting. Yeah. Uh, well, as usual, I'm the teetotaler. I have water in my commemorative Logan movie cup. I think that's what that one is. It doesn't have anything on it. Basically, just the tire marks. Tire yeah, was, so I don't know where that's from then, but it's full water. It's, it's speed five. You know, it actually might be Fast and the Furious uh, oh, seventeen or whatever it was. Way too fast, too much for <laughs> Fantastic. All right, well, we're going to kick off things now with extracurricular, and this is where we talk about what we've been up to. Uh, it doesn't have to be role play related, but it often is. Uh, Danny, I'll start with you. What have you been up to? Um, well, today I was up to and have been up to finding rocks in Rhode Island. It's this actual thing where people paint rocks and hide them all around uh, Rhode Island. And post oh, it's a scavenger hunt. It is. It's really cool. And today I went to Moore's Woods and got lost in the middle of the woods trying to find rocks and could not find my way out. And there was this woman behind with a dog like behind me and my sister. And I'm like, what's going on? I'm like, do you know the way out of here? And she's like, well, we we're just kind of hoping you were going to find the way out. <laughs> she was lost too. So. Oh, fantastic. And, and then, it, and did you have to eat her to survive long enough to get out? Uh, no, we did not. Um, she was pretty cute too, so it would have been pleasant. But. So, I was saying cannibalism. You know, there's there's always that. It's, yes, there's that too. It's <laughs> interesting to know that you prefer to eat unattractive people. <laughs> now, well, she said that she was kind of cute. Yeah. Yeah, and so it'd be a shame. Oh, oh, I I assumed the oh I I misheard. Uh, oh. uh, it was like a well, triple still, entendre. I, I guess, I guess the, the point is that, that your valuation of tastiness goes with attractiveness. That's, and uh, you know, I, I, I guess I wouldn't know. Sense. Would you eat some nasty looking like a chicken that's been sent out and all shriveled? No, no, but uh, definitely some of the best food I've ever had is not good looking. <laughs> this oh, is true. Okay. And then gaming wise, yes. there's so much gaming. So, um, doing the Numenera 2 playtest, which is really cool, which I can't really talk about other than saying it rocks. Uh, I know, it's glorious. Uh, playing, Cypher, running Cypher Play down at our local friendly game store, uh, Reality Shift Games, and that is always good. It's High Fantasy with by Bruce Cordell. I uh, just started recording some Shadow of the Demon Lord with some familiar, familiar voices, so that'll be good. And um, I'm running Ravenloft, too. That is a lot of games. Yeah. So much gaming. So much I'm gaming. So jealous. Yeah, I, my gaming has been lately. But uh, how, how, many, how many hours a week of gaming is that? It's a lot. Hence the bags in the eyes. But but it's 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 like I mean that's that's a aspirational level accomplishment. I I uh, have a hard enough time keeping two games going at once. Right? It, like if if each one is every other week, then I can kind of make that happen. But. Otherwise, real life and my own incompetence gets in the way. I admire uh, you, and I encourage others to follow in your footsteps, including myself. Yes. More gaming is more good. Mm-hmm. Do you have any suggestions aside from losing sleep to juggling many exciting gaming great things? The reason I didn't get back into jamming for the longest time is because I would overprep myself. Like, I would spend hours and hours prepping one game. I don't prep like anything anymore it's really bad i'll do a quick refill like read through and just the modern systems are so 
good to not have to prep everything, every minor detail, not have to memorize exactly what a monster is going to do or anything. So I say just let it fall by the loose side and like just go. Embrace the freedom of improvisation. Yeah. Love it. Nice. All right. We got a lot of chat going. I'm trying to read it. It's going really fast, but apparently Scott has an awesome beard. Yeah. It's, uh, I appreciate the compliment. It is a bit dry and crusty right now, but uh, it, it has a tendency to get dry and crusty. I put things in it when I remember, but when I forget to put things in it, it's kind of dry and crusty. All righty then. <laughs> uh, so Scott. I'm behaving. I'm behaving. <laughs> Scott, what have you been up to last week or so? Look at you behaving. Uh, what have I been up to the last week or so? I've, I've been uh, going to work, coming home. Oh, I started uh, The Witcher 3. Okay. Because I've heard that it's the witchiest of the witchiest of witchers that that have witched. Mm. So uh, that was good. So far, I've seen a lot of extremely epic cutscenes and some really boring play, and then really extremely epic cutscenes again. So I'm I'm, I'm thinking as as long as I jam together as many cutscenes as possible, basically make it a vaguely interactive movie, then I'm I'm going to be set and really enjoy it. Okay. Uh, or if we get to play dress up, because that's my favorite thing in RPGs ever is is trying on different outfits. Oh. oh, you really loved Final Fantasy X too, then, huh? With those dress spheres and I never played it. Is it really dressy up? Oh yeah, no, it's really actually really bad. I couldn't do it, but <laughs> they did. It was your skills were based on your dress spheres. <gasps> it's, it's, okay, I'm writing that down right now. Ten two. <laughs> Fantastic. We've got a bunch of new people in uh, chat tonight. Quick Sodic uh, is in there. Yeah, that's rich. Hi, uh, a couple more probably. So just keep talking and eventually I'll catch up. Um, so as for myself, Catacon, again, I just have been really like almost overwhelmed with all the stuff that's happening. Um, the scheduler went live this week and we've had quite a few people that are, are either not getting the emails or they didn't do the survey and they thought they did or they did the survey, but I don't see it in the survey. So we got to do it again. Uh, so it's just taking a lot of just back and forth, a little bit of stuff working on the schedule. That's almost wrapped up. Um, so it's good stuff. Just a lot of it. I'm, I'm, I'm really looking forward to kind of getting over that hill and just coasting into a catacon and, and being restful. Um, and then I've, you may have already noticed I've been muting myself. I'm still coughing really badly. I've been back and forth to the doctor now for like three months. Uh, so now I have a CAT scan because they can't figure out why I keep coughing. And um, one of the things they think it might be is all those moving blankets I had in the basement that kind of make my little studio. So I had to take those down. So I'm going to Give everybody Blair Witch Syndrome. But now it's just a big open basement. It no longer looks like a little room. It's kind oh, of no. sad. It's like little mold or dust? Or? I, I don't know. Because the thing is, what, what was funny about it is I took them down yesterday. So I was around them and I was unscrewing them and I was folding them up. I, was, I had them all over me. Didn't cough once. So I don't know if that's, that's really what yeah. it is. Maybe it's a long burn. Because they're, they're <laughs> it's hitting me hard right now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But it's I've like noticed, asbestos. Asbestos doesn't make you cough right away. It just kills you. <laughs> Maybe that's what it is, but I, I cannot figure out what is going on because it, it gets really bad when I'm in the basement. I notice that it it's really hits me hard, but I'm also always talking when I'm in the basement. At work, I don't talk to hardly anybody. I'm just at my desk for seven hours. So maybe I just look the you know the irritation of talking is what magnifies it, and I've associated it with the basement. 
I don't know. We're trying to figure out what's wrong with me, so I'll be alive when it comes to Catacon. So that's what I've been up to. Better be. Uh, yeah, because at this point, if I die, Catacon's over. <laughs> There's no, no, no way it's going to survive without me at this point. Wait, wait, wait. I, I'm, I'm loving the uh, Catacon being over chat. Uh, not being over really is, is the key part of that. But um, New York Tater in chat just revealed that, that he is currently uh, in the Caribbean and not New York. New York Tater, your name is a lie. I demand that you change. <laughs> Caribbean Tater. I want to pop out this window, but I don't know how. It's, it's the little gear icon in the bottom left, obviously, because that's where they put pop out. No, it's okay. It's weird. Nice. It's a weird one. Yep. <clears throat> the Caribbean. Oh, yeah. Normally I mute that. I, yeah, he's working. I think he's like doing a hurricane cleanup. So he's not like he's on vacation. Uh, uh, Oh, that's right. It's it's uh, man. Yeah, there was there was all that disasters everywhere. Literally everywhere. Everywhere. I'm sure FEMAing is two full time jobs back to back plus weekends and holidays. Yeah, especially right now. So keep up the good work, sir. Hopefully, you're okay and people are you're helping people. So you're doing the Lord's work. We're just screwing around here on this Twitch feed. But speaking of that, it's time to move on. Ten things. Everyone's favorite part of the show, right? Oh. Bum, bum, of course. Uh, da, da. All right, now, so, Danny, you are the guest. Would you like to give a prompt or receive a prompt first? I would like to give one first. Ooh, then you may go right ahead. All right. Ten crazy... Oh, who? Oh, Is it you. Okay. I'm sorry, okay. Michael. Give me, you know, come on. Um, ten crazy or memorable things from a catacon. Oh my god! Uh, is that for all a catacons? For all a catacons. Vultures. One. Um, the snowstorm that happened the first year. Uh, playing dread with Caleb. Werewolf with Eric, who didn't look at his card. Uh, getting to play a game with Rich and Keith Baker, the Baker brothers, so they're not related. Um, oh man. The fever dreams I got from working for like 36 straight hours. Um, oh, man, what else? Uh, a new favorite die. Dice. That's important. Uh, getting a book signed from uh, with Keith or Rich Baker signing my copy of Ultimate Scheme. Nice. I think that's 10. That's state. Oh, no, because Scott usually counts for me. I can't. I, I couldn't see you. I was. Ah, yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, beating Keith Baker at his own game. Ooh, that that's good one. Nice. Um, and uh, watching pro wrestling with Jim. Ooh, and that's 10. All right. So I will just go around the circle. So I will prompt Scott and then Scott, you can. Yep. Yep. All right, Scott, 10 things. Um, no, we'll, we'll stick with the Acaticon. 10 things you hope will happen this year at Acaticon. UFO landing. One. Uh, someone gets presented with one of those giant novelty checks. Two. <laughs> uh, impromptu orgy. Three. Yeah. Uh, let's, let's say that a, a, a visit from a former president. Four. A, uh, a, uh, uh, an impromptu free giveaway of signed copies of anything you want, including uh, novels that are out of print from authors who are deceased. Five. Um, let's, let's say uh, meet everybody. Six. Uh, and then um, 
uh, have an extremely good food all day. That would be great. Seven. That would be great. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I feel like we've done the right amount of everything without too much or not enough of any one thing. Hey. And uh, um, not phone it in on the third day, even though I'm tired. <laughs> Nine. And uh, otherwise, uh, introduce great people to great other people. I have people coming, and that should be really fun. Nice. Ten. Yay. Those were ten things. And then, Scott, you can give uh, Danny her prompt. All right. Uh, Danny, uh, ten things that you will make sure happens at an Acaticon. Impromptu orgy. One. <laughs> um, drunken debauchery. Oh, two. two. Rolling a one at the most inopportune moment. Three. Excellent. That would be the orgy. <laughs> oh, ooh, maybe that's a nat 20. <laughs> um, not falling off my chair at a game designer's game because I'm so drunk. Four. Um, going out for morning pickles with Tressa. Five. Morning pickles. What? Yes. We, we, uh, pickle Bloody Marys. Um, delicious. Oh, I, okay. Okay. There, there was alcohol. I was just like, pickles? Is this like a <laughs> Korean thing? That sounds awesome. I totally love morning pickles. What kind of breath? Like, oh, sorry. I'm interrupting. Oh, yeah. Uh, craft beer from Oh, Ohio. hey. Um, that UFO special place that you have um, down the street, like meeting somebody from there. Uh, uh, nice. Little alien. Nice. Um, getting some new dice from the, the nice solid metal ones you guys have drawing a blank they're the best of easy rolling having the redemption crew in a game and playing with them perfect and yeah. getting to hang out with everybody and just chilling Ten. Yay. and that was 10 things so let's move into Used books. This is where we take a look back at a campaign, perhaps one that ended spectacularly, and see if we can mine it for any gold, any lessons learned. So like any good used book, we're going to check the margins for some notes and see what we can take away. So, Danny, you are our guest. What campaign do you want to talk about tonight? I want to talk about one of my favorite but also uh, painful campaigns. I did not run it. I was in it. It was an evil campaign set in the Forgotten Realms, D&D 3.5, prestige classes and all. Ooh. Yeah. My favorite was Mystic Thurge. That was my, my prestige class. Ooh, was, I kind of went that way. With like, that's the dual cast. Is yep. that the... Cleric and wizard. Yep. Yeah. So I went Rainbow Serpent way, but changed it to an evil character, a shadow serpent, so I could do yeah. the two casting there. So a little yeah. custom. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've got to get that, that evil in. So I love playing evil. I love running evil. It is just one of my favorite things. Um, but we had some big problems with this one. And the, the first time was starting off on an evil campaign and getting us all to be able to enjoy. And like our characters will never trust each other, but getting them together playing evil. And it, it took a while. Um, and I will say Monty Cook's uh, Book of Vile Darkness was probably the biggest thing that helped with that. He had a little, uh, like a couple pages on it about how if evil didn't work together anytime, they would never get anywhere. Um, so that was, it was a big thing from that. And we ran into problems with overpowered villains that just crushed us every chance we got. And, but it was altogether a glorious campaign. And I don't know, I just wanted to talk about playing evil a little bit or running evil. Okay. I, absolutely. That, that's something that's come up uh, several times. Uh, I am particularly not a, I'm not a fan of having like the one evil person who's secretly working against the party, but I've mm -hmm. ran an entire evil game before and it was, well, it didn't start evil, but my, my 
deeming turn them evil. Uh, but it was still a lot of fun. People really enjoyed that. So what well, sorry, what is it about playing an evil character that you think is so much fun compared to a good character? Oh, I don't know. Maybe it's some kind of inner thing I want to get out, but it's just because it's so different because you aren't, you have to pursue your own personal goals and other goals at the expense of others. And actually it's really hard to play. Sometimes uh, it is painful to actually play evil. You don't, as a person want to do that terrible thing. You don't want to massacre an entire city, children and women at all. It makes you feel terrible, but your character sure as hell is going to. So it's, it's a challenge that I love. So just love the, the stretch of role playing and, trying to put yourself in, in a position of someone that you don't normally like associate yourself with. Yeah. I mean, I, I always gravitate towards like villains and evil, but I would never do that. I'm actually a nice person. Um, really empathetic person. Like I got all the feels, but playing it. It's, it's a personal challenge. Yeah. I like that. I, I, I like a Zen practice through uh, imaginary evil doing. Hmm. So one of the things that Scott and I, I believe, believe it was Scott and I, we were talking recently about playing superhero games and how being a superhero is kind of inherently a reactive game style because you're, oh, yeah. you're in the Hall of Justice, you wait for the trouble alert, the president shows up and tells you there's a giant moon dragon and you have to go fight it. So do you think there's something about being evil that's more proactive because you're more actively saying, hey, this is what we want to do. And then the opposition is trying to stop you rather than the other way around. Does that have any sort of play in why you think it's so much more fun? Yeah, I think I think it could because you're you're thinking outside of that built-in curve that you're. <laughs> yeah. I'm just thinking more and more about it. I'm sorry. Right. No, no, no. It's absolutely- no it's so like- so in your games, is that kind of what happened? Were you more proactive in deciding what you wanted to do because it was evil or not? And, and it could be that it's not. I'm just asking, um, did you I- feel that it was that way? I, I may uh, jump in because uh, if, if if we were having this conversation, then then the reason I was having it is because um, uh, certainly the 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 villain campaigns that I've done, like super villains uh, games that I've I've played in, uh, basically the, there were two fundamental differences. One was that we were evil, but two, and was much more important, was that we were not reactive. We were the cause of of the horrible injustice, not the effect. Right. So so rather than waiting for the trouble alert or or deciding, you know, finding out what the episode was this week and then trying to solve the problem presented to us we were like trying to write our new problems like we're gonna steal the gold from fort knox we're gonna like like uh you know um we're, we're gonna kidnap all of the, the little incubator machines from this hospital <laughs> right we were playing like a four color comic book villain game so it made sense right it, you know you don't have to have a reason to steal incubators it's just weird right. but um but the I, I you know re- reflecting on it, i think i've i've because of that i've entangled the idea of playing evil with the idea of of playing a um sort of a causative or or a non-reactive character archetype where where the goal is to find goals and make them happen in the world rather than waiting for things to happen like for a quest to come find you um yeah and that was that was that that you are you are making things go down. And so we've had so many games and evils where we have more war console meetings where we're all plotting rather than the action going down because we're making that happen. But we've also had the crazy evil where we're just reacting and we get ourselves into terrible messes. So the anti-paladin, I don't plan. I just hit things. Go for it. All right. So do you find it's harder for an all evil party to stay together than the typical all good party 
because it's kind of inherently evil. You're trying to be mean and dishonest, but if you're not working with the group, then it still it makes the game harder to flow. So was there any difficulty in keeping the group together because you were evil versus a good campaign? There definitely was at first because there was, we all, you know, it was hard not to metagame too, because we all knew we were playing evil characters. We all knew each other's alignments and, you know, you're going to sleep, not trusting everybody. Is your character really not trusting them because you know that they're a chaotic evil thief or are you not trusting them because of the vibe they give off? So it definitely, at the start of any evil campaign, I feel it's always that I've always had the experience where it is difficult at first to get the party together. And then you find that one good person that just like rubs you the wrong way and everybody hates. And it's that can like shared hate and, you know, spit on that person that brings the party together. And then you each have your own little goals in the background, but as long as you are, you know, and then there's ultimate betrayal and there's, there's going to be, but I think once you find common ground, common hate, common enemy, uh, things go together much better, but it doesn't happen right away. So it's kind of funny because that's often the way that you bring really any group together is a common enemy. So very typically mm-hmm. in a D and D game that you're playing normal good align, you still there's some ultimate evil. It's the necromancer stealing children, or it's the evil king who's taxing everyone to you know death. So you band together despite your differences and you know try to save the day. And that's basically the same way it works for an evil campaign. You just have to have someone that's either more evil or a goody two-shoes to dislike enough to get you to work together. Yep. Um, Short Mania 444 wonders if you could uh, do an evil criminal organization, like a mafia situation where everyone's uh, working together to gain more power and territory, basically where you're like uh, Blades in the Dark, where you're, you're collectively building this single entity or organization together where you might love to stab each other in the back, but each of you knows that if you did, you'd be weaker for uh, having done so. Yeah. I think it sounds like a fun idea to me. I think my... my Always my favorite uh, way to get around, to, to get evil into games, uh, thinking about like the D&D alignment system was lawful evil. Like, I'll make an agreement with you and I will stick to that agreement. Even when it's no longer in my interest to do so, like I, you know, lawful, like we have an agreement first and and I'm going to eat babies second or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> the really cool thing about the evil though is there's villains in every directions or enemies. So it's not like you're playing a good campaign and you're not going to go out and slaughter the other, you know, the lawful good king next to you. But in evil, you're going to take down the red versus a thay because they're competition and you're going to go take down, you know, water deep because they're goody two shows. So it's true. It's true. But pe- people uh, call the drow evil, but they don't call the drow evil when they're staving off mind flayer invasions mm. because wow, that's what we call a target rich environment. <laughs> <laughs> you can swing your sword at everyone. So mm-hmm. now you, we kind of set this up to talk about a game that ended maybe poorly. So how did this game ultimately come to an end? Um, it ultimately came to an end because we were fighting a villain that we couldn't touch. And we're talking about years and I love my GM. I am not, he's brilliant. He's one of the the best people in the world, but our villain was an old PC from a long going good game. And Mm -hmm. I'm sure he was very attached to the character and we all hated her because of that. Um, but it wasn't to the point, like a hate that we want to kill. We just knew that we never could like everything Mm. we always did was thwarted by a a villain that was out of our, our power. And so it eventually just fizzled. Like we worked, you know, it felt like two and a half years and our characters were, we were going up in levels, but it wasn't sat- satisfying as it needed to be for us to keep on going. And everybody just kind of lost steam after a while. So it was really of, sad. 
I loved like I loved that campaign. I love the story that he put out there. I love everything that was presented to us. It just we couldn't get we couldn't make enough ground to make it keep on going. Yeah, I don't think that's necessarily um, like an evil campaign type of thing. I think in in most games, if the characters and players are getting frustrated because they keep running up against a wall that they just like they never get any successes, then that can certainly be a, a morale buster. You mm-hmm. know, if the, you know, Dr. Doom keeps showing up and every time Dr. Doom gets away and you never get to defeat somebody after a while, it's just kind of like, why are we even doing this? Yeah. What about you, Scott? Have you had any thoughts about, again, when you're the DM or the player and there's an opposition that just seems out of reach, does that motivate you to try harder or dishearten you? I played one uh, open-ended game, and we only got, like, I think five sessions in before at least uh, I bailed for one reason or another. But um, it was uh, in Rifts, uh, Rifts World, for for some reason, Palladium System. And uh, we were on Earth, and and you could pick any character at all. It didn't matter. Like, the the GM made this really open-ended, and we all just happened to be in this bar. And suddenly, there are these group of, of like, five humanoid beings. They look like humans, sort of. Uh, But they have powers far beyond yours or anyone else's, and they're just murdering entire cities worth of people and they're this 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 oncoming doom and they're and they're so casual about it and they're immune to all energy weapons and, and they have all these magic powers right and there are a bunch of them and uh so so we presented us with this enemy that that was just completely un like it was, it was my first exposure as, as a player to nothing on my character sheet can solve this problem, right? Like, I'm looking at skills and abilities. I'm looking at weapon rolls. Like, no dice I can roll will fix this. And uh, as, as a very young uh, player at the time, I had a real hard time with that. Um, uh, you know, I, I asked him after I'd left. I was like, so what? I mean, what was the magical solution? He's like, I didn't plan one. He said, like, I, I just wanted to, to see, like, I wanted you guys to invent a solution to this horrible problem. Like, maybe you go to Phase World and recruit a massive army, right? Like, enough energy would probably kill these guys. Maybe, you know, uh, I, I uh, uh, threw out my first character in that game and brought in a second character after two adventures. I was like, this is not going to cut it, right? I brought it like a humble little character. Wiped that out, brought in like a Cosmonite. And I, I took one of these uh, characters and I, I flew into space with them. And then I... I uh, Got up to light speed because cosmonites can do this, and and took him into the sun at the speed of light, and uh, he teleported out. But he's like, yeah, yeah, he took a lot <laughs> of damage from that. And I was like, <laughs> after he let me take him into space and meditate for a few minutes so I could take him to light speed because he's like, I want to see where this is going because I'm a <laughs> yeah. being, and we'll see how it's going to go. And yeah. so uh, I was, uh, you know, I I mean, a plus for younger Scotty for creative thinking, but uh, that was that was a tough campaign. And I guess uh, so. So what I'm saying is is from that I've I've generalized that one, it's it's good to have that expectation up front. That, that this is going to be the game, right? You have a session zero, and um, right, take a drink. And and secondly, that um, either good or evil, you you can always surprise yourself with your ingenuity. I think those are my takeaways. So you touched on something I think is ripe for a little bit of exploration, because uh, I have done that before as a DM. Is I want to present a bad guy or the bad guy as really powerful. You know, they they are they are untouchable at the moment. How do you do that without getting into the situation that you experienced where it's so much more powerful that it's not, you know, it's one thing if you're, you almost get there and encourage you to find the next magic item or maybe level up, you know, if you're metagaming. Uh, but it's another thing when they are practically gods and you cannot do anything. So mm-hmm. do you I'd have like any, to defeat them? Step one, become another become God. Become a God. So do you have any specific thoughts on how you could do that successfully 
where you you present a, a being or an opposition that's very very powerful, but don't burden the players with that sort of. Well, there's no point because we can't do this. Well, I I think uh, uh, I mean I, I will let Danny jump in because I I know you've been running everybody's favorite. There's a massive godlike NPC that could crush the party at any moment, but amazing writing that makes him not want to. Right, uh, so. Um, I, I think if we're not talking about Curse of Strahd, where everything is like you have all put in front of you, um, the way I would do that is that the minions, I mean, you can't touch him without going through his henchmen at first or a mighty god. You're not just going to walk up to his front door. You're never going to get there. So you're going to have to take down a part of his organization before you can even get there. And he can tease you and taunt you, but it's not the here I am, try and kill me, I'm going to kill you or destroy everything. It's, you know, you yeah, you're not rolling for initiative when no. you meet this, this character. No. And that's the curse of Strahd is he's just teasing and it's great, but you've got to do certain things before you can even face them. And, it, and like you said, you're not medic level, but no, you got to get artifacts. You got to kill this person. And as for a long-term campaign homebrew, you know, maybe try down an organization or two. He had a ring of three wishes, and the first wish is that he can be killed. Yeah, you can do that. <laughs> but do you think that there's a sense, because this is a D&D, and because Strahd does have a stat block, that it's the whole, if it bleeds, we can kill it situation, that there's at least the thought we could possibly win versus these you know sci-fi oh, creatures that Scott was like, talking about that were... Like, Immortal beings. Never. Like the the three five rule quirk where you if, if you had enough level one warriors with nets, you could technically defeat anything <laughs> because they'd get a twenty and they'd entangle it, and then the rules for being entangled or whatever had almost no exceptions through magic spells and stuff, so you were just in the net and then they'd just poke you for one damage. <laughs> <laughs> Well, isn't that something you would do? Like, you're going to take down the mighty Cthulhu. If in order to do that, like you said, you've got to become a god. So we're talking epic level. I mean, at some point, there has to be a re resolution to it, right? Or else you're just beating your wheels for nothing for five years right. and the guy's still staring at you. So so then do you think it is better, worse, or, or you know, getting to your thoughts on, like, level one, first adventure, and the players glimpse in the distance this magnificent being of all creation just wiping an entire continent out, and now they have their 20-level story in front of them, or waiting till they get to, like, 15th level and then producing this ultimate thing that they need to get, like, five levels. Do you think there's a difference to the players when they encounter these godlike beings to make it more or less likely that they will enjoy the challenge? I personally, as a player and as a, a GM, would rather not show it at first level, be glimpses and have them be other enemies up front or other, you know, things to take down, but always have that mastermind in the background and, and then have the identity come out and then more reveal about it as the story goes on instead of level one being like, all right, so on 20 levels, you're going to be fighting this guy. Like, personally, I want some mystery still to my story. I don't want to know what my end game is going to be. Session zero. Take a drink. What about you, Scott? Do you have any thoughts on like when you introduce these ultimate powerful people would be better or worse than another time? Uh, I, I think 
I, th- I think it's it's all about uh, how you do it, right? It's 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 not. I mean, when will will uh, influence it, but but how is so much more conductive? There's so much information not in the question as as presented, right? I mean, uh, I think uh, again, a, a younger version of me, especially like right after that game, I would have been like, no, never, do never do this. <laughs> but then eventually, you you experience it done well, right? Like like Curse of Strahd attempts to structure in in a way that is meaningful and still, you know, it it provides productive frustration. Not uh, pointless, yeah. like hit a wall frustration, right? But 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 it provides motivation. Where, where the players want to defeat this enemy, not just the characters, which is always gold. So um, yeah, I, I think I think it, it depends. I, I think, and maybe I would go back to an old tried and true piece of really simple advice from um, Angry DM, right? Which is. Uh, you know, if, if you're gonna have uh, like like walls of fire and then like a blue potion that you need to put it out, let them encounter one wall of fire first and realize that's a horrible thing. Then find the blue potion, right, and realize what it can do, and then they can get through the rest of the blue, like the walls of fire. You can't find it first, otherwise you 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 don't have the value of you know you don't appreciate getting through the wall of fire, like because you've already found the thing. It wasn't a challenge at any point, right? So you have to encounter it, but you don't want to just slam your face into it. There should be other paths in the dungeon. Gotcha. So one of the things that I've done sort of along this this line is I've taken a creature that should be a lot more powerful than the players and then I create a narrative reason why they're not and kind of put them closer to their power level. You know, I've done it with like an Eden where he was trapped in like a cave-in. So when they fought the Eden, the was one head was already dead and he was like half starved. So he had half his hit points. So you get ah, that. The, the, the arch wizard used most of his spell slots for today. Yeah. What they, do you know? He just got done fighting his, his rival and he won, but now he's not powerful. Or, you know, the, the dragon that's one wing gets busted or the mind flare that's, you know, whatever. You're, you're fighting Garfield on a Monday. Kind of, yes. So the idea is that you get that moment of, oh my God, I can't believe we're facing this at this level, but then there's actually a chance where you can overcome it. But I don't, you know, but then that still sets up, well, good thing this thing wasn't full powered because if it was, we would be in trouble. And then later in the campaign, two, three. They, they, meet, they meet one that is not. Right. And, uh, <laughs> hmm. Like it. Yeah. Yeah, I like it. You know, provide opportunities for players to be able to gauge power, right? Don't don't just let them walk into something and get crushed and then be like, well, you should have realized that this was, you know, there's a skull and crossbones over this little, you right. know, dude. Yeah. Well, and for me personally, I like most of my big bad guys are are more institutions than they are just like a big creature with a lot of hit points. So it's the political figure where you know, you're hired to do a thing and you do a thing and then that thing leads to another thing. And then next thing you know, the Archduke has been overthrown and then you find out, oh, we did this for the wrong person. You know, so it's not like you can't just hit that with a bag of, you know, with, with your sticks until it's out of hit points. This is, they're a powerful, you know, corrupt entity. They control the government, they control the law enforcement, whatever the case may be, where you can't just go fight someone and then win. I like that as a challenge as a GM that I present to players much more than here's a monster with a thousand hit points. Go. Yeah. And, and, and it appeals to different types of players. Right. So, yeah. Okay. Um, the other thing is, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm the guy who doesn't follow the rules. I get that. But if you're going to have me face something that's really powerful, I want to know that there's that stat block. I want to know that that it, there is a challenge rating for this creature, that it is within the rules of the game that we could win it 
if we get into the right situation, we get the right weapons and blah, blah, blah. Not just something that's just almost like magical that whatever you do, it, it always counters. Like, oh, you have a fire sword? Eh, it's immune to fire. We have this thing? Eh, it's immune to that. Because I'm just making stuff up as I go. Like, if mm -hmm. it's going to be the main bad guy, it needs to be, I think, mostly by the rules so that you know that it's somewhat of a fair fight, even if it's much more powerful than you. It's that sad moment. So, like, I, this year I TPK'd a party that I, I almost got teary-eyed after it. It was not fun. But you say playing by the rules, that's the all right, guys. So we got to roll all these final rolls because you can do this. You can win this battle. I'm not I'm not railroading you. And then, then the sad moment. And then, oh, that was just a bad guy. That's, that's nice. Yeah. that. On the note of, of TPKs, I will uh, mention my my favorite house rule, probably not like the fourth to last that I read, uh, but it's been a favorite for a while, is of, of in 5th edition, uh, forcing players to make their death saves in secret and not tell anyone, including oh. the GM. Not show the dice. And and that way, uh, one, you don't be like, ah, he's got two more rounds before we have to go and heal him, <laughs> right? right? And, and, and that leaves you, uh, the DM, not in that position where you're like, well, what I should do is have the goblin stab this player on the floor to up the tension because everyone knows that, right? But it's kind of a jerk move. I mean, you still can do it because you're occasionally a jerk, but it's, it's nice to reduce that. And then also, um, it, it allows the players, you know, I mean, uh, DMs have so much power to be able to fudge die rolls behind the, the thing. If you give players a role that they're required to make in secret and not tell anybody, then they have the power to fudge that role, right? I mean, uh, if if you know they've made... Uh, like, like if, if if they've been critted, right? I mean, they're they're gonna die, right? There's there's, there's ways to ensure that, that an impervious character would die through death saves, but but the, the point is, if they think it's a dramatic, amazing moment to die, they can fudge their role to die. And if they love this character and couldn't imagine rolling another one, and they want to have a dramatic like come back from the ashes moment, they can fudge the rolls that way. And otherwise, they can just trust the dice and see how it goes. I I think it's a fun deal. Yeah, I agree. I think that's a good rule. I like that. Um, take one quick step back to the ultimate powerful bad guy thing. And then we can move on is another thing that I like to do in those situations. Well, one of two is to do that in like a cut scene, like where, where the characters know this isn't a fight. Like I'm not even going to have moral initiative. This is just, this is what happens. Once that's over, you can go kind of like it's an improv. I'm doing all the setup. Once that's over, then, then you guys can take over because I think it just it, it tastes better in a way when like if you have me roll initiative and you have me roll four or five rounds of combat and we can't win and then the bad guy gets away because they were always going to get away that feels kind of crappy to me but if you just tell me this thing flew in eight twenty seven people and flew away what do you do I don't feel so bad that I couldn't stop at even 27 people because obviously that was part of the story I had no control there so don't give me the illusion of control if I don't really have any I just don't think that's as good and the other thing I would say is um, I've never done this. Well, maybe I don't remember, but I've talked about it before is have the players start with other characters, have them start with the caravan guards who get eaten by the dragon or there are the, the uh, castle guards who are overwhelmed by the dragon. And then your players show up and find the aftermath. So you can the, put them and get something really powerful with characters that they're just going to die anyways. The, the, this is uh, one of the best rules I learned for, for uh, exposing to players how, how dark or dangerous a place was or making them feel or care about a place was putting an, an anti-DMPC in with the party <laughs> rather, rather than, than a, a character that, that I loved and, and cherished and wanted to live. A character I thought was annoying and tedious and I wanted to kill and I made it their responsibility to keep them alive. 
right? <laughs> oh, I can think oh, lots of those. I'm Cody, the cleric. Oh, I'm, thanks, guys. You know, I'll heal you eventually. <laughs> I walk real slow. And, you know, I'm not proficient in the armor I'm wearing. Oh, no, I tripped, right? And uh, and then, you know, if, if, if uh, you're going to coup de gras somebody, you can coup de gras Tony first. And everyone yeah. hates it. I'll feel bad. But, uh, yeah, people still get action. I mean, that's very classic movie trope. You always have the one person who gets killed to show you how much danger the heroes are in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if, if you're if you're running a city guard campaign, you have an NPC in the party who's two weeks from retirement. That's what you do. <laughs> Absolutely. So we've been talking a little bit over you, Danny. Do you have anything you want to jump in with any of the things we've been talking about or just anything else you want to throw in? No, I was actually I'm getting excited about that idea of the, the death rolls there in private. So nice. Good. But you're actually it's just make me want to play evil. Like not, well, actually, I am. Well, no, I'm not. I won't talk about that. Okay. Uh, uh, NDAs are so tough. I, I, th- <laughs> I think I've mentioned this several times, but I don't know if you've heard it. So I'll tell you one of my favorite books, even though it's not written very well, but it was just a kind of a fun adventure. It's very much like a D&D campaign, but it's called Villains by Necessity. And it's essentially about a world that is out of whack because the heroes have won. And it, like they're eliminating evil. And so like a druid comes forth. He's like, we got to balance this stuff. And he goes around, actually, I think it was a girl. She goes around and collects all the bad guys that are left and puts them on a quest to bring balance back to the world by doing evil. So they're bad guys, but they're saving the world. World. Oh, well, that, that reminds me of a really, I wrote that down. So I'll, I'll look at it up. Um, a book I absolutely love by Hans Cumming. It's called Wings of Twilight. And it's like a reverse dungeon crawl. So you have your paladin, Count von Strom, or I forgot exact name, going to save, you know, the, you know, the land from the demons underneath, except you're relating with the demons. They're actually the good guys. And the paladin <laughs> is a big jerk, as he should be. Yeah. And it's just like a glorious book to make you want to go kill that paladin. That <laughs> nice. All right. Well, then we will move on from used books to everyone's favorite part of the show. Scott, where have your fingers been? <laughs> where have my fingers been? I said, where have my fingers been? Inside the dungeon as the paladin approaches. My guys, how you doing? Uh, not good, nothing. I mean, what? <laughs> oh, good, good. I was just slaying some evil over there. That's great. You should go back and do it. Oh, what? What was in that chest there? Not, not nothing, nothing, not nothing at all. I, um, it's just some cloth, some some sacred cloth. Oh, can I look? No, 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 I, I didn't uh, get a good look at it. There's a lot of blood around here. No, no, no. Have you, have you seen my squire? No, uh, no, 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 but I sure haven't. Uh, don't look in that chest there. Oh, <laughs> okay. Uh, look, uh, oh, I see some evil. Look over there. Oh, look. And that's where my fingers have been. Yay. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. All right, uh, Danny. All right. This little song. Where have my fingers been? Where have my fingers been? The uh, Hobbiton, Detroit. The I don't know what that is. The 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 Hobbit version of Detroit. Oh geez, um, I am in my back dock tower selling cheap beer for a living. Oh, I have to go destroy the bad crack brewer because he's not using good hops. I am going to give all of you my beer and you're all going to worship me because I am a god. Oh, look at me. I have my really good 
green with me and we're gonna go sneak up on him and ah, I blast you with high ABV acid. Ah! And I put the hops in the pit. And that's where your fingers have been. <laughs> Yay! Oh, fantastic. Alrighty. Where have my fingers been? I said, where have my fingers been? You are at a vegan buffet with Count Strahd. <laughs> I want to eat some blood. Uh, dude, this is like, I don't know, gluten-free hummus grass with like some mustard. This sucks. <laughs> and that's where my fingers have been. <laughs> dun da 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 oh yep all righty so with that out of the way it's time to move into cryptozoology this is where we take a look at a monster primarily from DD uh talk about the lore around it maybe ways we've used it in the past and talk about some ways we could use it in the future danny you're our guest what monster are we talking about tonight i am going to pick my favorite DD monster the displacer beast the displacer beast all right so this is your favorite monster so i assume you're pretty familiar with them so for those of us that are not as educated what is the displacer beast uh it is this nifty little i want to say like feline creature um, that has six leg arm, two like arms, two back ones in the back. And it's got these nifty little tentacles coming off of it. And it can like shift out of, it can appear in one spot, but it's actually in another. So it is, I think it's like displacing its body. It's just making you think that it's one place you're going to hit it. And it's really not there. And they're, they're pretty nasty. They're really cool looking. And it's a cat. <gasps> so they said like panthers with like two tentacles off their shoulders. Yes. Alrighty. So what is it about these creatures that you find so fascinating or interesting that makes you want to use them so much? Um, well, obviously I'm a cat. I mean, if anybody knows me, I'm a cat lover. I have a cat Sephiroth and I worship him like the god he is. As uh, you do. Yes, absolutely. Um, so the feline effect, but it's just like one of those first monsters I ever encountered. Um, so it has a special place in my heart. And as the additions grew, they got uglier and not as pretty as they were but it was just always that special thing and my goal was always to have one as a mount which came really close to happening in that evil campaign Aww. Aww. <laughs> so can you think of any any specific encounters that you used them in that were you know particularly they used the displacer beast powers or lore in an effective way um this is actually a terrible confession i've never used one in a game no. i've only played i know favorite monster it How is, and so i don't want to i just want to beat them and like play with them like so i've never run a game with a displacer beast um but we definitely had like three of them come out and you know kick our ass as a party and not be able to find them and one of them being this giant god-like displacer beast that you know we had to hunt and everything um and some of I've had them played in a game where they're actually very intelligent creatures. I don't actually know what their intelligence is, but you know, plotting and packing against us. And then in that evil campaign, um, there was a displacer beast that my evil character had befriended and was getting very close to having as her mount. So as, as, as a DM, you've, you've obviously you've, you've never wanted to have your players kill a displacer beast, no. but you never had the displacer beast be the quest giver or the endangered species that they needed to stop the hunters from. Oh, well, next week. Oh. 
I like that. I like that. Uh, so, so I, I have a, a burning question. Given all the adorable art, uh, thanks for pointing out their kitties. By the way, I thought they were dogs. I was very confused. Um, Ooh, they're cats, right? Yes, they are. Okay. They totally are. Uh, but, but why two tentacles? I've seen lots of stuff with like eight tentacles, right, or right. six, and and a couple things with like three tentacles, which is weird if they're like eye stalks or something. Yeah. But uh, two is a really rare number of tentacles. I've, I've even seen things with one tentacle, right? Like uh, you know, but. But why? See, like it's basically a tail, right? One tentacle is basically a tail. But but why two? Maybe to have them appear more natural. And I have no. I mean, I'm I'm pulling at strings here. Uh, if you give it too many, it's like a odd birthed that creature. Octopus. Yeah, it's well, very familiar with this. You can relate to it. Right. Well, my theory is the idea of the displacer beast is that it always looks like it's not where it is. It's, it, there's something about it that it kind of draws your eyes off of it. And two tentacles just adds to that. Because if it had eight, you'd be like, oh, yeah, that looks right. But you're like, oh, it's like two tentacles. I don't understand. <laughs> it looks like it's over there, and then it's yeah. over here. So so are they prehensile? Does it, does it like... Well, they attack. Does it I, to make rules? Oh, it attacks with the tentacles. Yeah. Suddenly yeah. that makes much more sense. It has like two tentacle attacks, and then with its arms, it just walks. So if I was playing this, which I think I will do, play a displacer placer beast uh, creature in like Cypher System or Numenera. An awakened displacer beast? I am going to like throw GM intrusions because those arms are going to suddenly do all kinds of crazy things. And they're going to like start sprouting shit off of them. So I am water, ink, fairy dust. So I, I mean, they're from the Feywild. They yeah. ought to shoot fairy dust. Now, if I remember correctly, this, the, 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 excuse me, the displacer beast doesn't actually blink like it doesn't move through space and time it just has an effect where it looks like it's somewhere else so it's you get opponents to its armor class because you're you're aiming here but it's actually there mm-hmm. if we play with that a little bit i could see there being a situation where like the tentacle causes whoever it hits to start phasing in and out of time which means they basically are only on the prime material plane every other round. Or you could even have something where maybe they turn, you know, incorporeal and now they, they'll starve to death. Like if they have to find a way to come back to the plane within three days or they're dead. Look at that whole story is based on this animal. Oh, and you just want to get those poor little kitties back to their own little plane. That's I just know. so cute. They're just, they're just so snuggly wuggly. They look it. I don't know if you're the baby bestiary, but those little, I think they're called phaser cats, kins or something like that. They are adorable. Have it someplace. <laughs> I've, I've, it, it, you know, I've, I've never run a displacer beast in a game, but I've run a lot of blink dogs. And the difference between the two is fascinating to me. I mean, they, they have the same combat advantage that you never quite know where they are, but out of combat, like blink dogs can fundamentally get in any locked door or house because they, they, they don't appear to be somewhere else. They literally are. They're locked jaw. Uh, it, 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 I don't know what that is. The, it, it's the big dog that reference. teleports in the immortals. Uh, the immortals. What is the that? Marvel comic book series? Marvel. What is that? Superheroes. <laughs> All right. It's a okay. big dog called Lockjaw, and it can teleport. Mm, okay. Cool. Um, yeah. So, so I, I will say that I've I've uh, really enjoyed not immortals, dogs, yes. but I much prefer uh, cats to dogs. I'm very much a cat person, so maybe I should start using displacer <laughs> beasts instead. And you can lock the door and hide from them, which was always the most terrifying thing about uh, <laughs> blink dogs. But I, I could give my players a break. Yeah. Again, we're jumping around, but I, I had a blink dog encounter once. Uh, it was like a, again, my games are weird. The characters were on a train. And the train was going through the desert, very reminiscent of the wastelands from Dark Tower. And a blink dog basically blinked into the train with them. 
So it was just like, they're just riding along all of a sudden, oh, there's a big dog in the car and they're, you know, they're trying to fight it and that kind of thing. Um, but getting back to Displacer Beast, what are some ways that we could use it without messing with the powers, but just as they are, what are some cool encounters we can think of that aren't just poke it with a stick till it dies, using its ability to not be where you think it is? I, I think uh, what you do is, is you lull your players into a false sense of security by having illusory blink dogs in places. And then they figure out, ah, oh, it's just an illusion, right? And we're, we're in this, this uh, we're trying to go up this wizard's tower. He has illusions of blink dogs to scare you. And then there's a real blink dog, and they, they interact with the, you know, illusion. They're like, ah, oh, it's an illusion. And then it gnaws at their face. Uh, that would be fun to me. So short mania in 444 says Hall of Mirrors. That could certainly be extra disorienting. <laughs> disorienting. Uh, I was thinking, orientating. yes, you could have it uh, somewhat in like a, like an illusionary floor. And so you think the beast is on a place that's solid you go to attack it, but that's where the pit is. Cause it's actually two feet <gasps> over on where the path is. Oh, oh that's neat. I got this place for beasts plus spike traps. That's incredible. I love it. I love it. Like this place for beast made it through the, like on the white stones. We should go on the, whoa. Oh. All right. What else? Uh, Quick Stoic uh, suggests hologram Tupac, which sounds good to me. As long as he's riding his placer beast, I think that would be an amazing music video. (laughs) Now I want to have like a big uh, villain, like riding them. Like I'm gonna, I'm gonna not make my DM PC, but I definitely want to have you know them. Maybe maybe, uh, an illusion wizard. Because that's who would totally ride it. And he's breeding them. And what is he crossbreeding them with? <laughs> elephants, because elephants are awesome. <laughs> oh, and they only have one tentacle into trunk. <laughs> it's solid. Um, so what have Blink you dogs. have you seen that the movie um, oh, Edge of Tomorrow? With, I feel like I yes with Tom Cruise where he dies it's over and over and over and over and over. So again. good. It's very different from the book. Yeah, it's a very good movie. I really, really actually enjoyed it. So taken from that a little bit, the way Tom Cruise gets his power in that movie, because Tom Cruise always plays Tom Cruise. He's just always, that's who he is, is when he kills one of these creatures, the blood splashes on him and it gives him that power. So if he did the same thing with a displacer beast where whoever kills it, like if it's killed in a way that the blood kind of lands on them, they get the power of a displacer beast. But it's also kind of a curse because everyone always thinks they're two feet over from where they are. They're not going to starve to death like, you know, like they're incorporeal. But, you know, it's hard to get food at a restaurant or just, you know, there's a lot of weird role play situations you could come up with if people always think you're two feet away from where you actually are. Some really awkward, intimate situations. Yeah. Yes. Like, I can't imagine. Uh, like, like the invention <laughs> combat would be so outweighed by the fact that you could never look anyone in the eye ever again. They'd just be staring off to you, like off to your side talking. you get bumped into on the street all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, like, instead of getting the benefit of, hey, I can, you know, I'm a, you know, basically a displacer beast. I get these cool armor class bonuses, but they're, just their life is a living hell at that point. Hmm. I, I really displace your beast curse. I mean, you you, you can just uh, roll it as a disease like lycanthropy and infect it onto unwilling uh, participants when they get bitten by the displacer beast. I mean, it doesn't generally bite anyway. Maybe that's what the tentacles do because yeah. they uh, infect you with displacer. You get two tentacles. They're not yeah. prehensile. They're just weird. They like bump doors. You have to like drag them through stuff. It's really What's that your Christmas stat. I assume tank it. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, disadvantage on literally all charisma based checks. <laughs> quick, so, quick, Sodic said, "No more high fives." 
like, hey, and then <laughs> you, you have you have chronic uh, high five just or white yeah. guy high five as we like to call it. Yeah, yeah, nice. You do have me wanting to do though, like a, a live, like the pit of the live ones where you're you're bringing out like displacer beasts, but um, different ones, like they, like the crossbreed kind of thing. Like I want to make my favorite creature, and I want to add different things to it. And- Treat displacer beasts as a template. Yes, displacer owlbears. Yes. Whoa, they're gonna be so cute. Ah, with their little tentacles. Oh. Displacer mind flayers. <laughs> it looks like he's eating my brain over here, but really he's eating my brain right here. Yeah. Say, so oh wait, cool. that's not my brain. Oh. Oh. All right. Well, that was the displacer beast, and now we'll move into the last section of the night. This is our Q and A, where if anyone is in chat would like to ask questions of any of us, can be role play game related, but doesn't have to be. Uh, while we're waiting for that to catch up, there is one question that we will always ask now. Uh, Scott's already been through it, so I'll ask Danny. Danny, if you were an action figure, what three things would come in your package with you as your accessories? A cat. Meow. Um, a beer. A beer. And um, some heavy metal music. Perfect. And you're, it's, you're, it's a instead of Kung Fu grip, you'd be like this? Yes. And I do love Kung Fu movies, so it definitely got some Kung Fu fights. Fantastic. So while we're waiting for any questions to come in, Danny, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me at Imperial Scum on Twitter. I am on the Cyphercast, which is a podcast all about Cypher System, Monte Cook Games, Numenera. You're going to be able to hear some my voice in some games pretty soon, which has got to keep on posted to Twitter. And I'm on Facebook, but I don't really use it that much for gaming, so... All right. And Scott, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, oh, uh, of course, uh, at GeoWTF on Twitter is, is my main uh, thing. Uh, Geo.WTF is my website, but it's totally borked right now. And I'm way too lazy with my day job of building websites to build websites in the evening. It's just like you never buy a car from a car mechanic because they don't maintain that crap. <laughs> so um, otherwise, uh, you, you can catch me every Monday night here uh, on the RPG Academy Twitch channel where uh, we show Lawful and Orderly, the uh, D&D SVU show. It's very fun. It is very, very fun. Uh, as for myself, I'm at the RPG Academy. Pretty much anywhere you go, if you put that in, if you find something, it's probably me. I am most active on Twitter, uh, and you will be able to find me in two weeks and a day at a catagon or three weeks, three weeks, three weeks in a day. Oh, threw myself. Yay. What? So short manian four, four, four asked, he asked me though. I don't know why Danny, how many books do you have on those shelves behind you? Oh, I have a lot of books and this is not all of my books. Um, a lot of them are upstairs. So I'll give you a quick, there's some shelves over there. Oh, some box sets. There's some more over here. There's, I don't know. I'm having a hard time with computer. There's a lot. So I'm, I'm a collector of old things. I love Thacko. The, the, the follow-up question to that is, can we all guess how many there are and the winner wins some sort of prize? Maybe Danny's voice on their home answering machine. Yeah. Who's Oh, my voice? But, yeah. But not? we would have, Danny know. would have we to get a very accurate weekend. count for us. That, that would be tedious. Yes. Hmm. Guess my favorite Everyone voice. could guess. And then, uh, if we ever at some point know the right answer, then we will look back in the chat logs that yeah. don't exist yes. and find the winner and they will get a gold star. So if you think your guess is right, oh, get, get your guess number and the today's date tattooed on your body. 
And then we will be able to use that as our official uh, number counter. We, we already have several Tressa and Caleb said they were going to come to Necronomicon in Rhode Island one uh, year. And when they come down, we will have a powwow and count those books. Perfect. I have a feeling there'll be enough alcohol involved that we will not be able to dress that count. <laughs> oh, good call. <laughs> <laughs> well, Caleb doesn't drink. He might actually go no, through No, he'll have his head together. He's kind of OCD like me anyway, so he probably would want to. All right. Uh, so somebody asked if you could give us an update of your Ravenloft campaign. What's going on in it? Oh, all right. So we're taking things uh, slow right now. We are actually just entering bone, the old bone grinder. And it was actually it was one of my favorite things, which I think I was actually rushing everybody towards because like they, they wanted to go there. They heard I put on a really powerful scene, I thought, with the hag. So they really wanted to hunt them down after they were selling their dream pastries. I shouldn't give any spoilers. But it came to me that they can't go to old bone grinder right now because they're going to die. And I don't want to downplay it or give it any... Um, I don't want to do it any injustice. So mm-hmm. we're going to have some interesting. So you're just going to kill one or two of them to threaten the rest with what's going on? Right. No. So I don't. I think some of them are on, so I don't want them to hear. But um, that windmill is just oh. going to. I have a plan for it. It'll be okay. Yeah, but you have a plan to kill them all quickly, and then you can start over. That's how we got to Ravenloft. <laughs> TPK. <laughs> Oh, I guess that campaign's done. Well, I've got this book on my massive shelf here. Yes. <laughs> We're only an hour well, into the night. I mean, here's some pregens. I just happened to make them for this game. Yes. No, I don't know why you guys all died tonight. <laughs> Weird, right? No, to be fair, I was really devastated over that TPK, and I gave them the choice when they woke up in Ravenloft whether they wanted to play their old characters or do new ones. Because I was, they were not going to be the same characters. They didn't know that if they chose the old ones, shit was going to happen. But mm, that shit was going to happen. I was, I had you're whole the same character, but you're missing a leg. The Ravenloft death was going to be, and then they started a new game. So. All right. So short meaning four 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 also asked uh, best TPK since you brought that up. So uh, Scott, I'll go to you. What's your favorite TPK? You either, I guess, as a GM or player, experienced. God, you know, it's been so long. I think I think those memories have faded sort of into legends. Um, <laughs> I, I definitely remember at least one uh, frustrated GM doing the basically the equivalent of rocks fall, everyone dies and getting up and walking out. <laughs> uh, that was a, that was a classic. But 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 that almost has, uh, you know, like the, the rocket pride in addition to the what just happened to our game and characters. What um, kind of asshole players were you to have that happen? Uh, it was bad. It was <laughs> real bad. We uh, we all had a lot of growing up to do, mm. myself included. It was it was a learning process as how to be an adult and relate to each other in a reasonable, meaningful way. Um, you know, <laughs> you get away from that adversarial relationship where the goal is to not only defeat the the the, the challenges the DM presents to you, but defeat the DM personally. Yes, right? make them regret having gotten up this morning. That's your goal. Yeah. So uh, after that, I. Uh, I don't think I've ever TPK'd a, a party, but I did cleave through a player once and uh, hit another player and almost get a double cleave. And the NPC had greater cleaves, so I almost got two player kills <laughs> one round, uh, which I'm very proud of. Uh, because I'd, I'd not so subtly been like, uh, you know, his his pirate crew were just skeletons, but there's like very different non-fight music playing, and they're like, screw it, we attack him, he's evil. Like, okay, I gave you an out, but you're paladin cleave nice uh, yeah that's that's my story all right well, so, so danny you mentioned one but is there another one that you would want to mention 
Um, yeah, so probably my least favorite, which will always stick in my head because it's the most painful, which therefore is probably my favorite for dramatics. Um, DJ Venom was running this incredible shock and awe campaign. We were playing it for years and we, um, you know, it was like, all right, well, you're traveling across the sea. Just we're going to roll one big number. Don't roll this. And we rolled it and we got boarded by a pirate ship. And it was so painfully close. I was playing a cleric of Kosuth, who I was in love with at that point. So emotionally attached to my character. And our gnome wizard of the group, Farfy Sparkle Gem, his, his player had to leave early because they had to get up for work. And so his character floated away from the party. And it was the last character standing. And if he had just been there, there would have been one person alive to save us all. But Ed Cabral, damn you. Damn you to hell. Ah! So I know I, I know I've mentioned mine at some point on here, but uh, one of the ones I remember best was back when we were playing three point five, and I had the characters going through a cavern cistern system under a uh, city. I decided that there would be some carrying crawlers in there, and for some reason I thought you know carrying crawlers aren't tough enough, so <laughs> I decided to make them more powerful. And the way a carrying crawler works is that it hits you and you have to make a saving throw. And if you pass the saving throw, nothing happens. If you fail the saving throw, you're paralyzed for so many rounds. Well, I thought the DC was too low. So I said that every time it hit you and you passed, the next hit would be more difficult. The DC would raise by two. Uh, carrying crawlers get eight attacks a round. So within like two rounds, I had just basically paralyzed the entire party and they were slowly eaten to death by the mm. carrying crawlers. It wasn't a true TPK because one character was like, F this and got out of there. But that was the end of that campaign. So close enough. I, I will say that there was one awkward point where uh, it turns out a tree, the, the party engaged in combat with the tree and the tree did con damage. Oh, and uh I, I, I retconned that into dex damage because by fluff, it should have been dex damage. The tree's goal is to paralyze you and suck the life out of you. Mm -hmm. Because it was con damage, it also hit your hit points and it just outright killed Does everybody. You. So it's like, oh, okay, no, 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 no. You're just paralyzed, y'all. And so the other half the party, because you split up for no reason, needs to come rescue you and be aware that the tree is actually a combat encounter. Now, so, so you took Charlie Brown. You took the whomping, the kite killing tree from Charlie Brown and you turned it into an encounter. Yeah, or the Wampy Willow, I guess, from Harry Potter. No, nobody expects the the the, the clincher was everyone was negotiating as to how they would uh, fight this tree, right? Because it was obvious it was a bad tree, right? There was like corpses around it, <laughs> it right? Had, it I had tattoos, smoking, smoking a cigarette. But but the DM got bored of waiting for them to like devise a perfect strategy, and so the tree charged <laughs> <laughs> because the tree has movement. Yes, and so it charge. Yes, I, yeah. I mean, of course. What else would you expect? Uh, we had one of those bad-looking trees that everybody thought was horrible, so we lit it on fire, but it turned out there were some druids inside of it, and we killed a bunch of good people. <laughs> nice. Uh, Peter Parker asked, uh, most satisfying PC death as either a GM or a player. So, Danny, any, any memorable PC deaths that you want to talk about? Um, as a player, Melisande of Shadowdale was made into a birthing mother where she was tied to a rack and like not it was it was creepy not like artificial insemination like it was a creepy birthing mother situation where they're like implanting stuff in her gut and that was her end of her wow yeah it's she dark. was a pretty cool person she was a pretty cool character that's super dark super super dark what about you scott yeah, I'm trying to remember player deaths. Most of the DMs that I had would uh, real awkwardly avoid them. 
Um, I almost got kicked out of the party once for, uh, which is the closest I can get for player death, was that uh, I, I should have been kicked out of the party once for um, the, the druid was uh, trying to negotiate with a hostage for their safe release so that they could live. And uh, my complete asshat sorcerer just coup de grace them because he was bored of the conversation. <laughs> So that was that was fun. I was I was kicked out for a session or two, and then they're like, "Okay, <laughs> nice. We like you better than the new character you made. So come back, so come back. Fantastic. Because uh, that's that's the key. You always the second character you always make much worse, right? Just like that that cosmonite paladin who carried that deity into the sun, right? Like if you have to roll up number two, then you you punish everyone for making you do. <laughs> so I have two that are pretty memorable. Uh, one. I, I had set up my character with this arc that it, they wanted to get revenge on this certain person. And the DM of that game, I guess, just wanted me to get past that arc pretty quickly. So it was only like, you know, a couple levels into the game. I got a chance and I defeated my arch rival. So I then had my character kill himself because that was his life goal. He had nothing left to do. <laughs> Once he had accomplished that, he's like, all right, I'm done. Peace out. Uh, and then I had another character that was killed by a Calzone Golem. This was a 3.5 module. It was like a crazy That's wizard chef. And it was a calzone golem, and it, it spit hot uh, marinara sauce and scalded my character Skylar, a sorcerer, to death. Now that's cannibalism at its best. <laughs> there you that. go. Yes. I wonder if Peter Parker asked that, because Peter Parker is one of my best friends, Kevin, and I might have killed his character last year. Oh, uh, yeah. Might uh, have okay, okay. <laughs> Flavor Town RPG. Uh, you had to t tell me what module was that. I don't remember, because I, I was playing. I wasn't the... I want to think it was might have been like out of like a Dragon magazine or something. It was just like a like short adventure. I know <laughs> there's a, a, a new one that's been came out called The Adamantine Chef, that I think is like a current, mur I don't know if it's based off of that one or not, but I've heard really good things about it. Have you seen the movie Trolls? The, like the cartoon version? Yeah, yeah. Yes. My there's kids a love that. that. Yes. yes! Oh my gosh, you would make a great villain! And then something like that. <laughs> yes, that's true, yes. Uh, yeah, there is a there is actually a Flavortown RPG. Uh, Quinn Wilson wrote it. Um, he's going to be running it out of Catagon. There's uh that's good news. There's another question in the chat. Um, uh, Quixotic asks, uh, question for everyone, what is the most ridiculous thing a PC did during a game? Well, you just mentioned how you killed people because you were bored. That was not the most ridiculous thing. I uh, Well, maybe that I did, but not that I saw done. All right, lay it on us. No, oh, I'm going to let you go first. Uh, my my story's the best, so I should say. Oh, save okay. Well, I got to think of one because I've done some really stupid stuff. Oh, all right. Well, uh, I, I guess I did have an opportunity to. I, I have a, an auto answer for this because we had one friend, uh, uh, name of Jamie, and he would always be that guy who did the most horrible, ridiculous thing that that no player would ever do, uh, because he got real bored during the games. And uh, good for him for still playing with us, but. There's one time where uh, we, we were rescuing like 500 dwarves from horrible uh, enslavement in, in the Underdark, and we were trying to get them up to the top. And we trooped into an empty room, and uh, we're like, what's in the room? The DM's like, uh, a perpetual motion energy machine. It's like making a bunch of flubber-like things go through tubes. I don't know, right? And so, uh, Jamie, this guy's like, I break the tubes. <laughs> like, 
So uh, we're in this crowded room with a hundred uh, dwarves that we've just rescued with Flubber that's only going faster, right? And he starts rolling random damage for these poor dwarves. And uh, it, it led to one of the most memorable quotes of, of that, that particular role-playing group that we always bring back up. Like, you brought the dwarves? Because the um, there would have been a scouting party that found this room, and they sent uh, someone back to get us who, who had the 200 dwarves. You don't take them into random rooms, right? right. So they're like, uh, oh, you know, the, the, the dude who came back to get us was like, hey, uh, they, they said they needed you. And I was like, oh, did they say to bring the dwarves? And they hadn't. And so he's like, yeah. And so brought <laughs> this horrible flubber room, and then the flubber goes off, and, and so he brought, he hadn't paid attention when he, when, you know, it was like on the on the table, right? He didn't hear when we said we brought the dwarves. He's like, you brought the dwarves? I'm dwarf chucking. I'm just getting out of there. It's like, just, it, was, it was a good time, but a bad time, because somebody did something unbelievably stupid. Well, That's a pretty I'm good one. Yeah, I'm trying to think of ones that are like G-rated enough for this because there's a really good one with Barry and Leaf in the Powerpuff Girls game that I ran, but it's definitely not something I can talk about. You guys are here. You know what I'm talking about. What's mounted on your wall there. A Powerpuff Girls game that went way after G. We're going to do like an after dark segment for that. It was probably the uh, raunchiest game I've ever run and been at a table with in my entire life. I just, yeah, it was very bad. Um, Good for you guys. It was, as sad as this is, I can't remember the actual specifics, but this past year at Gen Con, I was playing the game of 13th Age with uh, Sean, the heavy metal GM. And, hey, I, and, and, I, and I said something, like I said, I want to do something. And then I immediately looked at him and said, don't let me do this because this is dumb. Like I, I didn't want to, I didn't want to roll because it was so stupid that I didn't want it to succeed. But I don't remember exactly what it was because I do that stuff a lot. But one of the worst things one of my players ever did uh, I there's a magic item. I love to reuse magic items. I created what I called the skeleton key. And basically, you could stick the skeleton key into anything, and it would make a door. So you could put it inside <laughs> of a mountain. It would make a door in, in, into whatever. So you could bypass any sort of, you know, whatever. They decided to use it on the dam that was above the city and basically just opened up and just flooded the entire city because they were a-holes. <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah. So careful to don't nice. put a skeleton key in a party if there's a dam nearby and your players are a holes. That's that's what the evil party does. Absolutely. Sure. All right. I didn't see any other questions come up, so we'll wait just a second. Um, and I've got to comment on that stupid like the, the, oh, yeah, the, yeah, the yeah. thing. I think I did it. Um, I think I'm the person that was guilty where everybody wanted to kill me at the table because actually that same bard that was a birthing mother, she was very obnoxious, Melisande, and um, we had this thing where we could ask this person 10 questions and she's like, really? I don't believe that. Is that true? And like, I was just playing <laughs> every like one, two, three, and like, no, that can't be a question, is it? And then like, <laughs> they were ready to kill me, so. That's like the Simpsons thing. You could ask three questions. Really? Three questions? Really? Thank you. you can go. Are you really the head of Rocky Park? <laughs> yeah. Really? 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 <laughs> that was your three questions. Awesome. All right. Well, I think that will do it for the night. Danny, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank uh, you for having me. It was a great. pleasure to have you on, Scott. Thank you, as always, for joining us. Uh, we'll be back next Wednesday at 9 o'clock. Uh, Scott and I will be here more than likely. Hopefully, we'll have another guest with us. Until then... Have fun at your tables and be nice to each other. You know, there's been a lot of communication out recently on Facebook and Twitter. And, you know, our hobby has some issues. It's very male dominated, but be nice to each other.
Everybody, and look out for one another, guys. And look out for like, one another, yes, absolutely. Girls. We're Everyone all in this remember, together. Everyone remember Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. And be excellent be to each other. Be excellent to each mm-hmm. other. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. Let's do our awkward wave out while I find the button. Good night. Good night. Almost there. Getting close. Really close. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast, the flagship program of the RPG Academy network. If you enjoy what we do here, then please check out the RPGacademy.com and visit our site partners for additional entertainment and gaming advice. We do this out of love for the hobby and for you, our fans. The podcast and site content will always be free for you to enjoy and utilize. But we do have expenses related to the show. If you'd like to help out in any way, please visit patreon.com slash Academy and check out the rewards we are providing for your monthly pledges. We use all funds that come in to improve the show and give you better content and quality. And if you don't have the coin to spend, don't worry. You can still help us out in many ways. You can subscribe to our show on iTunes and or Stitcher Radio. You can leave us a five-star review. Also, if you clear your cookies and you visit Amazon or the DriveThruRPG site through our portal, we get a small percentage of what you pay, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. Just like any RPG, our site works best with open lines of communication. We love talking with our listeners about everything. Please contact us with any questions, concerns, and comments that you have. We also love to hear feedback and experiences from your own games. You can email us via podcast at vrpgacademy.com and reach us on social media such as Facebook and Google Plus at vrpgacademy. But Twitter is usually the fastest way to reach us. You can find my favorite co-host, the Caleb G, at the Caleb G. And you can find my favorite co-host, Michael, at the RPG Academy. Thanks for listening, and as always, if you're having fun, you're doing it right.